So welcome back to another episode of the Elite Body and Performance Podcast. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Dr. Kate Blackford. Um, and I met Kate about two or so weeks ago when she joined us for a masterclass um, for our members, for our team, um, surrounding emotional eating. And it was an incredible masterclass. And I thought it'd be invaluable to get her on the podcast and share her wisdom with you guys. So I'm not going to take too much of her thunder. So I'm going to allow Kate to introduce herself and talk a little bit about her. So Kate, over to you. Thank you. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Um, so yeah, me. Wow. How did I get here? I started out working in corporate, actually uh, consulting and senior leadership in corporate and ended up realizing it, it, it wasn't where my passion lay, basically. And I was working towards a model of success that wasn't my own. So I literally walked away from my career and retrained as a therapist and coach. And I've been doing that ever since. And I love it. Um, so I work a little bit for um, a company called Total Mental Performance, and they work with um, online fitness coaches. So I'm the female mental performance lead. And that's really about getting peak performance from online fitness coaches, both in terms of their mental well-being and their business performance. And then in the kind of other bit of my job, I work with um, with people with things like anxiety, with trauma, with low mood, with phobias and that kind of thing. Um, I've got a little business called Origami that I work with my partner. And um, yeah, so my background's kind of in, it's always been psychology type stuff. I did a degree in psychology and then went out and worked in the area of business psychology for business performance. And then um, did quite a bit around the psychology of risk. Decided in my 30s, I'd go back to university and see if I still had any brain cells left and picked up a PhD. Um, and that looked at organisational psychology again. So looking at quality of working life, what kind of what keeps people really in it at work? Where do you get the best out of people? And what are the things organizations need to do to really make sure that they're retaining top talent and, and getting the best performance they possibly can? And then um, and then more recently, as I say, I've trained as a what's called a cognitive hypnotherapist and coach. So, yeah, that's a, a, a brief history of Kate. Amazing. So very qualified and very experienced. So one thing I would love for us to lean on today is the topic of emotional eating. And I think this word often gets confused in the media and there's so many definitions, but from a specialist like yourself, I'd love to lean on, what is the definition of emotional eating? So emotional eating is when we are eating to satisfy an emotional need. So it's not because we have a genuine um, physical hunger and need for physical nutrition. It's when we have, for some reason, confused food with some kind of emotional support. And it's usually when we're experiencing an emotion that is uncomfortable for us. And the thing that a lot of people find quite strange is that some people will emotionally, if they're really happy or excited, because that can actually be an uncomfortable emotion for some people. But more commonly, yeah, more commonly it's things like stress, it's um, fatigue, it's feeling, um, not good enough or not loved or in need of comfort and somewhere along the line things have got confused and we have learned that food can give us that comfort that stress relief whatever it is we're looking for 
Absolutely. And that's something that really opened my eyes as well when you took uh, the amazing masterclass for our members is I never associated myself with emotional eating until we kind of took a bit of a deeper dive into how it can kind of come from, you know, stress or as like a reward. And you kind of think about it, you go, actually, there, there's been many times, even recently that, you know, you might have had a stressful day or you might have done something amazingly well and trying to reward yourself through food. And it's all an emotional response. And it was really amazing to hear that. And it really opened your eyes up massively, which is phenomenal. So I would like to kind of lean into where emotional eating can stem from. So the kind of triggers and what would people usually have as something that happens that then causes an emotional eating response. So obviously, you know, we, we kind of went over a little bit of stress and a little bit of, you know, a happy and, and uh, rewarding response, but maybe a little bit deeper. So potentially from like a childhood perspective, what kind of triggers could kickstart a journey of emotional eating? So here's the thing. And often it's not any kind of, big event or, or singular definable moment. It's a lot of things that we absorb as children usually. So um, when I grew up, for example, um, when we were kids, if we were, uh, if we were good all week, we would get a, a sweetie at the weekend. And that was a way for our parents to kind of reward us for, for being good kids, for doing well. But what the brain does in children is it makes these very kind of direct, simplistic connections. And so what the brain can learn from that experience is food means I've been a good girl. The other ways that we can we can kind of absorb these messages again in my childhood, we had things like you can't leave the table until you clear your plate or you can't have dessert until you you clear your plate. So, again, we learn that that clearing our plate makes us a good girl and we can go and do what what we want to do after dinner. So, again, it's like a reward or perhaps when we're kids, we we fall over. And hurt ourselves. We skin our knee, or we um, we have a, a difficult day in an argument with a friend at school, and we go home, and, and our parents say, "Oh goodness me, here have a chocolate bar that will make it better." So then, what we can potentially learn is that food is comfort, or food is is something that makes us happy if we're feeling sad. So all of these little things can actually create in childhood because of the way our brains work. These, these connections that we carry around with us until whenever, sometimes forever, sometimes we deal with them, we get them sorted, where we learn to use food as a form of stress relief, comfort, love, reward, whatever it is, but it's all about those early connections in terms of what that food means for us emotionally. Of course. And I suppose as well, alongside like an emotional trigger, I suppose it then becomes a habit. You know, you, it becomes the habit of every time I have a stressful day at work, I de-wind with a glass of wine. Or every time, you know, as a child that you fall over, you don't even go home and wait for your mother to say, here's a chocolate bar. It's getting home, just waiting for that chocolate bar to be there, you know. And I suppose that habit becomes very strong and over years and years and years. Breaking that habit's really tough. So I would love to lean on, you know, for, for people that are stuck in the cycle of emotional eating at this moment in time, what are some good practices to break that habit or break the emotional response? What could somebody then look into to remove the need to emotionally eat and replace it with something better? Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It's, um, it's a coping mechanism. It's a way of, of coping with uncomfortable emotions. So the first thing is, and hopefully we'll achieve this through, through this podcast, is just becoming aware of it. 
you know, recognizing that perhaps sometimes you are inclined to emotionally eat. And if that's not a problem for you, fine. If it's just occasionally, don't worry about it. You know, we all like to have something nice occasionally. But if it is problematic, if it's interrupting your fitness goals, if it's keeping you in um, a cycle of perhaps even feeling like you're binging and then kind of not feeling good about yourself, then it's really worth getting aware of it and getting to know then once you're aware of it, what is it that that's sitting? beneath it what's the emotion that I'm uncomfortable with so typically what you'll get in the emotional eating cycle is some kind of a trigger a stressful day a stressful week and here I would caution it's not always just immediately what's happened before you emotionally eat sometimes we can actually be thinking about oh my goodness I've got this really busy week all week how am I going to cope and we're almost predicting so our brains are great at predicting uh, we're almost predicting the stress or the fatigue that we're going to feel right from from the word go so that can almost trigger the emotional eating before we're even there before we're even stressed or fatigued or anything else so get aware start to notice and note down have a little notebook note down those times when you you feel that inclination to emotionally eat or Often at first, it will be afterwards, you'll stuff the food in your mouth and you'll think, oh, done it again. Then sit back and reflect what was going on before, what's coming up afterwards, what's the emotion that I was feeling that could have been contributing it. And then you'll be able to gradually kind of kind of laser focus in on yeah, yeah those particular emotions. So that's what I would suggest to do initially, because then you can start to either work on the emotions or the coping mechanisms, looking at different coping mechanisms. So I always recommend to my clients that they have a little playbook of rewards or comforts that are non-food related. So, yeah. So those little self-care rituals, and we were talking about it, weren't we, earlier, Reese? that self-care can be perceived as selfish and actually it's not it's self-preservation because if we don't build these self-care elements into our day then we're more inclined to find other coping mechanisms like emotional eating of course and one thing that I always like to say is a lot of the time being selfish is actually being selfless because it always has a, a kick-on effect so for example if you're in a position now where you're emotionally eating you know, and, and let's say you've got children or, you know, you've got a partner or friends and that can always have a knock on effect to somebody else. So a lot of the time, if you're able to be selfish in helping yourself, you're being selfless and setting the right example for the people around you, which is super powerful. And one thing I love that you said as well is down to prediction, because one thing I remember that you said on our masterclass is that we're the only species that think, what if this, what if that, and start making predictions ahead of time. So if we're predicting a stressful day at work or if we're predicting that we might have, you know, a, a bad day or, you know, we start to feel a cold coming along, we're predicting it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And I think that's really, really powerful to kind of understand and notice it first to be able to then find, find the right solution. And one thing I'd love to lean on as well is you mentioned about like a food diary. So kind of writing down, you know, how you feel and, you know, the, the type of response you had to a certain day. So do you think that's quite powerful to 
you know, have a little bit of a food diary, writing down, you know, this is the food at this time and this is how I felt. This is why I had it, you know, and potentially even a, like a hunger scale. So, you know, separating emotional hunger from genuine hunger. Yeah, absolutely. So um, noting down the the circumstances and the emotions related to the emotional hunger or if you're trying to identify if it is indeed emotional hunger and yeah a food kind of am I hungry scale um I usually suggest zero to ten nice and simple if you're a zero you're not hungry at all you're definitely not eating for nutrition you're eating for some kind of emotional need and if you're 10 out of 10 you've got over hungry and then you're more likely to eat food that is not maybe quite so nutritious because you've gone past that point and you're you're kind of desperate at that point so you want to catch your hunger at about a six or a seven so again through that process it's about reconnecting with your genuine physical hunger and that's about noticing how quickly has that that feeling that perception of hunger come on because if it's emotional hunger it will probably come on quite quickly because it's in response to an an emotion a, a trigger of some kind that's emotional eating if it's come on gradually and you've just sort of you know those feelings where you start to get a little bit of an empty feeling and then it maybe builds up to a little quiet rumble and you want to catch it before it's growling so loudly you're deafening your colleagues um, because then you're probably at a 10 and so just actually reconnecting because I think where where we live in a society where we're often distracted when we're eating we're eating on the run or we're just grabbing food in between meetings I think sometimes we don't we don't maintain such a close connection with our actual feeling of hunger so really reconnecting with that reconnecting with how hungry am I on a scale of zero to 10, where a, a six or a seven is that, yeah, I'm really starting to feel that that gentle rumble, that little kind of emptiness that's telling me I need to be preparing something nice and nutritious. And it's at that point that you can start to check in with yourself. What is it that I really fancy eating? What is it that I really feel my body needs in terms of, of nutrition? Because not only do we lose that connection with when we're genuinely hungry, we can also lose the connection with what, what we're hungry for and our body will tell us what it needs. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think one thing that I suppose is quite a good way to understand it is, you know, if we're sitting down to have a meal, are we sitting down and actually enjoying that meal? Are we eating for the pleasure of, you know, eating the right foods and sitting down and taking your time and chewing your food? Or are we just kind of getting food for the sake of it to fill a hole and just scoffing it down us? Because again, a lot of the times, you know, sometimes for the sake of convenience, you know, in between meetings, and we don't always have the luxury to be able to sit down and just enjoy a meal. But if we do notice, right, am I just picking things out of a cupboard for the sake of it? And I suppose something that can become quite powerful there is, you know, if we're, we're used to having certain foods in certain cupboards, if we were to then move these things around, so when we reach for the Oreo biscuits in the in the tin on the kitchen, you go, oh, crap, I moved that the other day, where did I put that? And you kind of then go, right, you know, think about it a little bit more, as opposed to just that habit and that response to then just pick it off the side, which we're so used to. If we then move that somewhere else in that kitchen that we then need to think and go, right, okay, where did I and that's just going to allow us to, I guess, sit down, think about the, the decision we're about to make a little bit better and then potentially make a better one. Would you agree, agree with that at all? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way for when we've kind of got into the habit of just grabbing that comfort food. It's almost like we 
we go into a bit of a trance when we when we go into that emotional state we're trying to soothe whatever emotion or feeling it is that's uncomfortable we go into this trance we reach for the the food of choice the oreo biscuit whatever it is and yeah and and we can have it in our mouth and be on biscuit number three before we've even registered what we're doing yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah so moving them move it around like you say so that you reach in the cupboard and you get a glass instead of a packet of biscuits and you can think ah it will break the trance it will break you out of that autopilot or putting a really bright big notice on your fridge door saying how hungry are you or check in yeah. one to ten where's your hunger you know do anything that will create a difference either visually or in the space physically in terms of where things are that can pattern interrupt if you have gone into that emotional eating trance and just give yourself time to think and to check in absolutely of course I think that's just so powerful as well to, to build that good habit so I think it, it always boils down to the right habits as well. And if we are getting into the habit of moving the right things around and forcing ourselves to think before we eat, as opposed to just eat out of reaction and eat out of habit, then it's just going to allow us to think, sit back, and then have a much better and stronger chance at breaking that habit as well. And one thing I love to lean on as well is it's something for me that obviously it was a bit of a standout in our masterclass. And, you know, obviously we, we have hunger waves, you know, to the point where, you know, you get to a point where you're very hungry. And sometimes riding that hunger wave out before that then goes would be a good kind of determining factor of are we hungry or are we bored or do we have an emotional response? And you spoke about surfing the urge. Mm. And I would love to go into that a little bit more detail. What is surfing the urge for those who don't know? So, so it's, um, it's a fairly kind of classic technique for any kind of um, emotional urges that result in behaviours that you don't want. So in this case, we're talking about the urge to eat for emotional reasons rather than for actually feeling genuinely hungry. And urge surfing is kind of like um, a visualisation of literally... Um, you surfing a wave and the the wave represents the urge because the urge will peak as the wave crests and will then subside as the wave comes into shore and just actually sometimes taking a minute to close your eyes and meditate you know a lovely calm beach and the waves coming in and the sound of the waves crashing and then you actually surfing those waves as if you were surfing through those urges can actually help you just to get past the initial intensity of the emotion because we're not taught to sit with difficult emotion. We are taught in our society to avoid feeling uncomfortable, difficult emotions at all costs. And we don't even know we're being taught it. So actually just developing that ability to just sit with the emotion and to know that it absolutely will pass. Nothing lasts forever. It will pass. So the urge surfing is about just a, a, a beautiful, relaxing uh, visualization to sit with as you let that uncomfortable emotion pass. And it's yeah, that's that's all it is. Yeah, and we um, it, it was quite interesting because I had a lady who obviously joined our masterclass and she was saying that the surf and the urge worked really well for her. And it was the next day 
um, she had children running around, she felt very, very stressful. And she found that technique alone were, was a big one for just letting that hunger wave pass, letting kind of that emotional response just kind of sit yeah. up a little bit. And then she felt a lot more comfortable, a lot more kind of content afterwards without needing to then go and snack. So I think that that was a really big and, and powerful point for her. So anybody who's listening, try it because you know there, there's many techniques ways and tricks that you can overcome a, a certain hunger wave or, or emotional response you know it could be having a glass of water it could just be having something small that you not that you don't have as an emotional response but riding the wave and, and and surfing the urge is a very big powerful one as well so yeah. one thing i would also talk about as well is um we kind of delved into different types of emotional responses uh, at the beginning of this podcast and one thing that stood out for me as well is, like I say, I, I didn't know I had an emotional response to, to food and nutrition until we kind of touched on the stress element uh, and the reward element. And that's when I started to think, you know, what, if I've had a really, really good uh, day, very positive day, sometimes I might reward myself with a big Nando's or, you know, whatever it may now be. Or when I've had a very stressful day, sometimes it's the case I might just break up the white wine. And that was kind of like a bit, a bit of a standout point for me. So for those who don't quite realize that they might have an emotional response to food, a, they probably might have obviously from this podcast, you know, but been a bit of a light bulb moment for them. But is there any specific triggers to look out for on like a day to day basis that might highlight that there is an emotional response if you're not quite aware of it yet? Yeah. Um, so, yes, the first thing I would say is, is going back to how fast is the hunger going on? Is it quick? If it's quick, it's, it's probably emotional. Um, what kind of things are you craving? So if we're genuinely hungry, we'll often it will be for you know, real food for want of a better term, you know, we are designed to enjoy food. Eating food releases endorphins in the brain for pleasure because, you know, our body wants us to eat because that keeps us alive. So we don't want people to lose pleasure in what they're eating. And that's not what this is about at all. But yeah, being aware, how fast is it coming on? What kind of food are you reaching for? And often if it's emotional eating, we'll be reaching for the sweet foods, the chocolate, that kind of thing, because the sugar gives us an extra kind of endorphin hit as we eat it. So again, it provides that almost that extra little level of comfort when we first consume it, or the kind of um, the, the, the white carbs that convert to sugars. So your chips, white bread, Nando's, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So it's more those kind of... Um, fast sugar hit foods that will tend to be the things that we'll we'll want when we're emotionally eating and most people will have almost like a go-to so for me in the past when I've struggled with emotional eating it's been chocolate yeah okay that's um, quite a common one chocolate as well isn't it yeah and and not good chocolate cheap nasty sugary sweet chocolate um and I do love chocolate now but I love good quality dark chocolate now in moderation and I really enjoy it and that's the other thing is actually bringing mindfulness to your meals and to everything that you eat so when you're sitting to eat something no television just you know either you're enjoying conversation with somebody as you as you enjoy a meal because food is a very social thing or you're sitting and you're paying attention to what you're eating. People eat a lot more when they've got the television on in the background. 
it just means that we're not being mindful of what we're eating so we're stuffing it in without noticing it and because we're stuffing it in without noticing it we tend to eat more or continue eating longer than we want to so actually yeah that mindfulness and as you said earlier you know putting your cutlery down between each mouthful at first it will feel intensely laborious But it does make sure that you really then pay attention to the texture of the food, the taste of the food, the temperature of the food, all of those things that make eating great, lovely, delicious, nutritious food so enjoyable. So, you know, putting the sandwich down between bites or putting the cutlery down between bites, having that couple of squares of chocolate, but really paying attention to enjoying it. And, and maybe going for a lower sugar version because the, the sugar makes you want more. <laughs> Absolutely. And on that as well, not necessarily just touching on emotional eating there as well, but, you know, a lot, a lot of the time, I, I suppose that there's emotional triggers to places, you know. So I, I suppose there's a lot of feeling or emotional response to feeling, you know, when we then look into long foods. But would you say there's also an emotional response to places? So it might be the workplace that triggers an emotional response or even the sofa because I know you touched on that and a very common thing is is you know the habit of when you sit down on the sofa on a, of an evening you automatically get a bag of crisps or, or and it might not even just be an emotional response but it could just be that habit there so do you find it's quite common that people have emotional places that then therefore they they trigger a kind of response yeah and it's that um it can be that prediction thing that the brain does. And, and don't get me wrong, the fact that we can, our brain is capable of predicting potential future outcomes is an incredible skill and it's it's essential for our survival. Its intention is good. It's just that sometimes perhaps we're walking towards the office. Maybe we've been working at home for a while because, you know, because of lockdown and we're just starting to go back and we have some anxiety about that. And we see the office or we see the station and the people on the platform and know we have to get on the train with them. And that triggers the the stress or the anxiety or whatever it is. And, and we reach for food because that's our comfort. Or as you said, those habitual behaviors that we that we develop where sitting down at the end of the day, and we have got a connection between sitting down and eating something like a chocolate bar or a bag of crisps. And that's our reward. That's our symbol. It becomes associated with that point at the end of the day where we go, oh, I can relax now. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So and again, being mindful of that and what other things could you do to relax? And not everybody's a fan of meditation. I, I was a, a huge skeptic. Um, until a few years ago, I was like, oh, what a load of rubbish. And then I went to see a um, a conversation between a neuroscientist and a Buddhist monk. And, um, and that did it for me. The fact that meditation physically changes the structure of our brain for the better. It helps to build neural pathways for resilience and emotional regulation. That convinced me. So, you know, perhaps taking the time to develop a a meditation practice instead of a bag of crisps or a chocolate bar at the end of the day. And it does take time. It's called practice because, you know, like going to the gym, you have to keep going if you want to keep that muscle definition. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The same with meditation. You have to practice it regularly to keep the benefits of it. And I suppose it's also finding your form of meditation as well, because I was also a skeptic. I thought, oh, you know, sitting there with my eyes, I'm, oh, you know, I'm a bit fidgety. I'll get two minutes in and start trying to go, go on social media or start to do something. But I found for me, 
one form of, I suppose, meditation that works really well for me is I'll leave my phone at home and I'll literally just go out and go for a walk. Just yes. the sound of, of the trees and the breeze and the birds. And it's, it might sound silly to some, but just, you know, if you're feeling like you're having an emotional response, one good way for me was I'm leave my phone inside and I'm just going to go for a walk around my, um, I say where I live, I'm just going to go for a walk. I'm just going to go for a walk and just, just listen to, just listen to air. No, no music, no podcast, just go for a walk with my thoughts. And for me, that was a form of meditation for me that I found Kill two birds with one stone, get my steps in at the same time. But I found it was great for me just to leave the phone at home, not be distracted, just walk and just think. And as a form of meditation, for me, it was a great response if I felt, you know, a stress trigger coming along or even a boredom trigger. Because for me, sometimes, you know, I get to be bored of me. And I suppose that is an emotional response or, or a trigger yeah. and something that, you know, it, it can kickstart and kick on to more and more and more as well. So for somebody who feels like they're struggling with emotional eating and us as coaches don't specialize in emotional eating as a body transformation coach. So somebody whose sole problem is emotional eating and it's something that they really need to overcome, what would your advice be to them? Where should they go? And do you recommend any resources, i.e. books, that they can then look into for, we'll call it rehabilitation? So um, start doing the things that we talked about with the noticing the triggers, going for a walk is a great one. We are, you know, we're meant to be outside and green and blue spaces are incredibly healing for us as human beings we're not built to exist solely in a concrete jungle it doesn't it doesn't feed our souls and our minds um sufficiently so <laughs> yeah um so yeah definitely do that um start looking at the kinds of food start keeping the the note of of what's going on around when you're feeling triggered and the emotions and you said boredom there as well boredom seems like such a benign little emotion but actually it can be incredibly uncomfortable for a lot of people and it can be a huge emotional eating trigger so that's a really good one to, to draw attention to actually um and then it's about um having a go at urge surfing having a go at meditation it's about having a go at building your self-care playbook, just little things. And I mean little things that are self-care. I don't mean a spa day every weekend, unless you'd like to, of course. Um, so, you know, having this little book so that when you're feeling that, that urge to eat emotionally, you've got a list of other things that you can do right there. You don't have to try and think of something because it's really hard to think about something else in the moment. Absolutely. Um, so uh, having a go at those, having a go at moving your, your sweeties around somewhere else in the kitchen, if you can not have them in the house, don't have them in the house if it's a problem. But obviously, if we've got family and, and or we, we cohabit in any way, there might be other people in the house that want to have those foods around. So put them in a different cupboard, put your notice up nice and clear. And then if you're still struggling, um, talk to someone. Yes. Talk to someone would be my my advice and, and online coaches can go to, to TMP, Total Mental Performance, um, and that's just totalmentalperformance.com. And if you're not an online coach, you can come to me at Origami and that's um, that's just Kate at origami-life.com. And I actually offer a free consultation. So um, you can come along, have a chat with me for about 30 minutes 
and um, and there's no commitment then we can talk about emotional eating I can give you some some ideas and tools and you can go off and have a go you're not committed to anything and then in terms of um, resources there's um, the DBT solution for emotional eating um, for breaking the cycle and that's by Safer Adler Philip and Masson um, that's quite a good one but it's quite an in-depth one um, the thing that I would most recommend is actually practicing sitting with the uncomfortable emotion yeah. that's the key the key is learning that the emotion will pass the feeling will pass and you know in um in things like Buddhist practice, they talk about nothing is permanent, you know, so enjoy the good times because they're not there forever. And know, know at the deepest level, the bad times will pass. The difficult emotions will pass. And I think learning that's the single biggest thing we can do for our own resilience. But sometimes we need a little bit of help along the way to get there. Yeah, so, you know. Absolutely. Um, and another book that I've read that could be very powerful, and I know you touched on it as well, is Mindset. Uh, yes. Carol Dweck, am I right in thinking? Yes, you are. It's just a brilliant book for, for life, <laughs> basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, just really kind of explores, you know, those elements of, of fixed mindset where we're becoming stuck in our ways. We're becoming kind of almost tunnel visioned and inflexible and... And actually, we, we have a saying in, in therapy, the kind of therapy I do, be like water. Bruce Lee said that, I think. Yeah, um, and, uh, and, you know, when we have a growth mindset, we are able to be adaptable, to be open to things, to be learning, to be challenging ourselves. And so in terms of developing a, a resilient mindset that's all about growth and learning, then yeah, definitely mindset by Carol Dweck is a is a definite one that um that that you might want to check out. Um I'm trying to think of anything else in my little book. Um and if there is like, any others that we forgot to mention, I can always put it in the show notes as well, other books or resources and also your details as well, because I think a lot of people, especially off the back of COVID being mm. at home 24-7 could have developed a lot of emotional eating or even other things related that they feel like therapy could be a great thing yeah. for. So if anybody is in that position now, um, back in the COVID, and they feel like, Do you know what, I, I feel like even if I should just talk to somebody just to see if it is an underlying issue, then I could yeah. not recommend higher to reach out to Kate because us as body transformation coaches are not the ones that's going to drive you from A to B in that scenario. So please reach out to a specialist like Dr. Kate Blackford um, or any other kind of specialist that you may know, but I couldn't recommend Kate's higher for um, especially, you know, surrounding the emotional eating. So for online coaches, TMP and origami for anybody else to contact. So Kate, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I think people are going to find this invaluable. Um, lots of nuggets to take away. And I think it's really going to change a lot of people's lives for the better and open a lot of eyes. So I couldn't thank you enough. No, you're very welcome. I hope so. I hope so. We just need to bring awareness to this so we can start to work it through and, and get people feeling really healthy and happy. So you know, body and mind intricately connected between us. We'll get it sorted. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode.